0: Welcome to the Live Up podcast, where we revisit the movies from our youth to see if they live up. Today, for our 20th episode, we're mixing up our format slightly. We typically review, discuss, and score the movie in question to see if it lives up to us as adults and whether it lives up to its intended audience, Kids Today. However, there were those movies that were decidedly not intended for kids, and you saw it as a kid at a sleepover, Your friend had HBO, or your parents weren't paying attention, which, let's be honest, was most of the time. These are all the movies
1: we definitely did not see in the theater. These are slasher films that would keep you laying awake for months, or killer clown movies murdering people with cotton candy, or Christian Slater faking an orgasm on a pirate radio station. We knew we were not supposed to be watching these movies, but... Nobody came in
0: to see what we were watching. So so today we decided to introduce a special type of Live Up episode. It's called Live Up After Dark, where we review and score the films just as we would normally. But these are ones that we specifically should not have watched during our childhood, but we did it anyway. Everything's still pretty much the same. The only point of difference will be our considerations for a kid's score, where we try to consider whether this would live up to younger folk who also inappropriately stumble into it, perhaps less likely because you could see what your kids are watching on streaming these days versus popping a VHS out of the container there. But that's our slight tweak for reimagining this, and you know everybody did it, and even on this podcast, we've discovered movies that have been rated R or not appropriate for kid viewing, but we did it anyway. This one's an extreme case, though. I'm Jess Latiman. And I'm Amanda Treat. For our very first
1: Live Up After Dark episode, Mm. we're reviewing the movie that taught us all how to pair Chianti and Fava Beans. Ew. It's 1991, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Jess, what is your earliest experience
0: with Silence of the Lambs? I 100% have a memory of watching this. My friend Cheryl Zakaria, we've lost touch. Hi, Cheryl. What's going on? At her house, her dad had a bit really big Laserdisc collection, and we should explain to young people what whoa, laser discs whoa, are. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Laserdisc.
0: Laserdisc. <laughs> I'm not laser saying DVD. I am saying laserdisc. No. Disc.
1: Do you remember that? Did you? I did cuz my science teacher used to have one. When they wheeled the cart in in I don't know, it was some sort of science-y themed program, oh, but it I was remember on laserdisc. Yeah. And these things were like bigger than a record. Like totally. they were the biggest flat circular shaped object you've ever seen in your life and man, did this format Die. It, died it died very
0: quickly. I mean, it's so big. It could it's like bigger than like a Texas Bull cowboy hat. It's it was huge. And so my at my friend's house, like her dad was super into it, and he had they had a big screen and the entire wall was a huge collection of laser discs. So he was a collector, which I kind of like think back and I feel sad for him now. So now he has all these That's laser so, discs.
1: That is so <laughs> sad. He invested in a technology that was on its way to failure. But I will sympathize with him because my dad had a beta projector do you remember beta yeah but beta's was high quality like, beta was the rival to vhs cassettes he had a beta projector that we wow. used to play on the ceiling that might be worth something the ceiling ah uh, no it's not
0: <laughs> <laughs> it really really is not well, so laser discs for folks who don't know, laser discs were predated DVDs, so they were sort of around the same time as VHS, and they were considered high end quality. I don't even know they're sort of a precursor to DVD, but I'm losing the thread here. Anyway, at her house, her, there was definitely a Son of the Lambs laser disc that we popped in and watched, and we definitely watched it multiple times at her house. I could not have been more than twelve. There's, I was definitely in middle school. I might've been 11 and I know this movie came out in 91. So yeah, it sort of tracks. I was like 11 or 12. And this movie was also on cable. So I definitely watched this with my brother on TV edited because watching it now as an adult, I remember some of the dubbing and I remember that some of the nudity was edited out of the, you know, murder, blood, fine. But some of the nudity and the cursing, so, I watched this movie in an inappropriate amount of times. Like, I still remember the dialogue when I watched it <laughs> again. I don't know what that says about me.
1: I'm just really hung up on the fact that you watched this on, LaserDisc. I watched I this get on get laser disc. I want to get you a trophy that says, I watched Silence of the Lambs on laser disc, <laughs> and like a big bowling trophy size award that you can display somewhere
0: in your house so guests come in and go, What oh, the what? What? There might be other movies on this podcast where I've seen on Laserdisc, but this you've one I've seen. Remember on LaserDisc.
1: Specifically. <gasps> how yeah. many movies Oh man, we're gonna have to talk about this another time, but I'm fascinated by how many
0: movies you've seen on Laserdisc. That's a thing. That is a thing. It is a thing. I'm gonna to have to reach out to Cheryl on the socials to be like, Do you remember what? I should have done this before this podcast? But I should have been I should be like, Do you remember watching this movie on Laserdisc? She'll be like, What are you Hello darkness about? old friend? <laughs> yes, like oh my god. I
1: remember your Laserdisc player prominently and I haven't bothered to reach out until now. Until now. <laughs>
0: But I'm, but I'm reaching out now specifically
1: to ask about your dad's Laserdisc collection. I was
0: thinking about <laughs> Silence of the Lambs on Laserdisc,
1: and I thought of you. That's <laughs> what everybody wants to hear at this point.
0: Oh, man. So that's oh, that's what I remember. God. And I remember, I don't even think when I watched it, I thought it was that inappropriate. It was just like, I, I guess now I realize we shouldn't have been watching that movie, but I, it didn't even register as something like illicit that we were doing.
1: Well, we can actually talk about the content of this in a little bit because I was reading that when it came out in England that they have their separate rating system but that it was rated like you must be over eighteen to watch this. But in the years since it came out, they downgraded it to you must be over fifteen. To oh watch interesting. This. And I hmm. think the reason for that is when you watch it carefully, they don't actually show any of the violence. You know, they really cut dumb. away. It's like cut Jaws. away from every single moment where something bad's about to happen, and it's left to your imagination to fill in the blanks, which is, which is possibly worse. worse.
0: It's definitely it's worse. It's kind
1: of worse. Totally. But they don't show any of it, which is fascinating, and I didn't, like, because your memory f- filled in all the blanks, so I don't remember it yeah. not being violent, but it's not actually that violent.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's not, but it's, it's sort of psychologically terrifying. One note with watching it again. Obviously, listeners, I did not watch this with my kids because that would be an insane bad decision. Nope, nope, nope. Um, <laughs> did not. Your wife, Elena, would have had some <laughs> strong words for you if have. you tried that. <laughs> this is not one of those, hey, honey, did you check the rating? Like, we all know that Silence of the Lambs. We is- know. This is not PG. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that... Yeah you know, she checked in as I was I was starting to watch it on the couch and she checked in and she was like oh yeah I kind of she she's only seen this once and I think with me in college
1: wow. and she and
0: she was like oh yeah I think this is too dark for me so but she kind of watched for a little bit you know because Jodie Foster of course and then she was like wow this is really dark and i'm like yeah you know and the escape scene at the end i'm looking forward to re-watching that and she goes he escapes <laughs> she like totally forgot that hannibal lecter escapes in the end and she was horrified and then she like yeah
1: well it's awesome
0: it is awesome but then she very quickly exited the room to go watch sex Education* oh, in the basement oh, fine, and she was fine. like i'm out of here i'm not watching this <laughs> oh sorry elena yeah but what about what about you Amanda? Did you watch it on Laserdisc? No,
1: I would bet anything that my parents rented a VHS cassette copy of this from Blockbuster and then left that VHS cassette sitting around the house and that's, that's how I watched it. That's also um,
0: crazy though. In in a way. I don't know. Yeah,
1: just that you're laying around. The movie sitting there and it was like, "Oh, what are you doing after Golden Girls? Well, Amanda's in the other room watching something. <laughs> well, that's fine. They're probably Should watching Rudolph again. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Like, the kids are fine. Yeah. I will say that whatever that first viewing was, I was probably 12 years old. And that I rewatched it at least a few times. But at one point with all of my younger siblings, including my what? youngest sister, who I recall was four years oh, old at the my time. God. And she didn't really follow along with what was going on, so, like, she wasn't scared of it at all, but I just want to call out. That's what happens when you leave your oldest kids in charge of the youngest kids, like... (laughs) cannot believe that. Four. There you go. Yeah, she's My youngest sister Lydia saw it at age four, but didn't oh. think twice about it. She was very scared of the Michael Jackson thriller video, but she really didn't blink at this movie at any point. It was just like, eh, whatever. Oh, Adults guy. be adulting over here. <laughs> but I I was very conscious of what was going on with this movie when I saw it at 12, because I recalled the first ever Oscar award ceremony at Ceremony that I sat all the way through was that year. And I was really pulling for Beauty and the Beast, which we were reviewing oh, right. on a previous episode. Right. I was a huge fan of that. And this is the movie that beat it for Best Picture. And like, I viscerally remember watching that Oscars because they rolled Billy Crystal onto the stage oh, dressed right. as Hannibal Lack. Lecter yes. with the mask over his face, and he was on a dolly, and it was, like, super funny, but at the same time, kid me's like, yeah, go, go, Beauty and the Beast, and when it lost, I think by the time I swiped this VHS cassette and watched it, I was probably spite-watching it, you know, like... Like, this like, is what how dare my you, favorite movie. How dare you beat Beauty and the Beast? But then, like, a few minutes in, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> I'm way over my head on this one. Oh, and I remember being super scared, right? Even from the moment Clarice, we'll talk about all these scenes in a moment, but, like, early on, she's given a tip to go check out a storage warehouse. Oh, yeah, that's And she scary. cranks up the garage door and slips under in the pitch black and, like, oh. even gives the guy who owns the place, like, a card. Like, if the door slams shut and traps me in here, please call my boss. Oh, my God. And she's in there in the pitch black darkness with a flashlight and finds a human head in a jar. And, like, 12-year-old me was at that point like, no, no nope nope,
0: nope. <laughs> like, yeah. so many things... No. That that so, scene this... is like particularly it's it's almost like worse than wa- walking downstairs into a creepy basement or something. It was I, Which she does which repeatedly she, in this movie. Which she does repeatedly in this movie, but that struck me too as a kid. That Ugh. that scared me when she has to so- slide under the storage facility, the storage thing to get yeah. in there. I was like this this is terrifying me.
1: No, we were still at the age where like going down into a pitch black basement or going into a pitch black garage was friggin' terrifying.
0: And so that, watching her do it early. It's scary part of this
1: movie, but it, it no. resonated as scary to me. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not. Although she does find a human head in a job. Yeah, that's so true. So that is... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was way over my head watching this at age 12. But, hey, it's after dark.
0: (laughs) No, it's interesting, though, because uh, we talked about this in our Beauty and the Beast episode, that that was the first movie that I remember seeing before the Oscars. And I remember it being nominated, and I thought that was really cool. And I forgot that that, this was the movie that it it lost to. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're a little different. Just a little. (laughs) Although, you know. There is a beauty and there is a beast in this, too. I, guess, I was just about to say, I mean, there's still an interesting dynamic here between someone who's fucked up and the and the female lead. So. You know, the songs just aren't as good mm-hmm. here. I mean, somebody could write the song, something there that wasn't there before about trying to solve this case, and it could be pretty funny. Oh, it's a,
1: it's a human head in a jar. There's something there that wasn't there
0: before. And here's a butterfly. It's a head
1: <laughs> with a moth down its
0: throat. And oh, the, the, the birds tweet. Yeah, no. <laughs> this, is, this is a horrible remake.
1: Clarice is spinning, and there's like a flock of starlings. Yeah. Oh God. All right. Anyway, Jess, do you want to give an actual plot summary of Silence of the Lambs? Because sure, we're, we're making this sound completely off the rails. It is off the rails, but yeah, this <laughs> good is good
0: luck. A, this is a slow burn psychological thriller. It's the first time as a tween that people our age learned about serial killers and just how captivating they could be. Some of us had an after dark experience with Freddy Krueger
1: prior to this oh, movie. Oh, that's a good I point. I just want to call out there's worse serial killers out there, but that also they were like mm. stupid. And this is a smart. Clever, it is scary.
0: That is a good point. So I think that this is an entryway for people our age into serial killers could be captivating <laughs> and not dumb. He's super.
1: He's so captivating, so
0: captivating. And and then you have the novice FBI agent tasked with getting a jailed serial killer, i.e., Hannibal Lecter uh, slash psychiatrist, to help in a current hunt for Buffalo Bill, who is also a serial killer who skins his victims. So, you know, very light stuff here in terms of what the plot is. And I'd say the sneaky plot here is that it's kind of a movie about a woman trying to succeed in a man's world. And there are themes of that here that were new to me watching as an adult. Oh,
1: hell yes, it is. And I didn't remember this as strongly. We've been watching so many movies recently where you have Sigourney Weaver and Ghostbusters. Yes. Yeah making her character dana super strong but just surrounded by what we were calling garbage men total clarice has it even worse it's every guy she encounters seems to have some sort of attempt at either picking her up hitting on her or this power dynamic that is just icky i feel like she set Such a beautiful example for how to stick up for yourself in this world without getting completely kicked out of it. And yeah, we're going to... Let's dive right into her. I mean, she's such a strong character. It's amazing. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, she's great. Shall, Shall we talk about Clarice?
1: Before we get to Clarice and Dr. Lecter and all of the fantastic characters in this movie, I just want to talk real quick about how... This movie came to fruition. So this was directed by Jonathan Demme, who, leading up to this, always did either prison exploitation movies from the 70s, or he did a bunch Mm. of rom-coms. Then, boom, did Silence of the Lambs. That's crazy. So it was just such a 180 from the path he was on. But I watched an interview with him and he was just like, yeah, I was just like waiting to do a thriller, dying to do a thriller and like just kept getting the good rom-coms, rom-coms, way to knock it out of the park for something you've never done before. Like this is so good. His other movies... You know, Married to the Mob, it's a good movie, but it's not a Silence of the Lambs good movie. And then he went on from this to do Philadelphia Mm. and The Manchurian Candidate, Beloved, Rachel Getting Married. Like, he went in a very serious direction. Those are all good
0: movies that you listed there. They are. I don't know. I just find this trajectory amazing. I feel like these days, if you have that caliber of talent in a movie, you would not give this to someone who's never done something like it before.
1: Right. And the studio was like, oh, he's done a bunch of, like, fun movies that made us a lot of money. Let's give him the Silence of the Lambs and good luck. Yeah,
0: because at this point, these, like, I mean, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster were very well established. She had already won an Oscar, so. She already had, yeah. Yeah.
1: And she's still so young here, but she actually had to plead, not plead with him, but, like, go make her case for being Clarice. Really? Because... He was trying to cast Michelle Pfeiffer that he had just mm. worked with on Married to the Mob, and when she passed on it, he tried to get Meg Ryan. No. Can you imagine Meg Ryan no. as
0: Clarice? We wouldn't she even wouldn't be have talking had any about any of the this Gravitas. Right no. No,
1: it would have been completely different. No offense, like, Meg Ryan. She was America's sweetheart and adorable, but like the gravitas would not have been the same. Like you needed Jodie Foster, who when she went to him and she said, hey, I have literal stalkers and I have literal FBI agents assigned to like my security detail and I have so much respect for them. I want this role. And that sold him on it. Like, oh, okay, Jodie Foster's a little young and known for all this other stuff, but okay, let's give her a shot. Like, Not a shot. She's an Oscar winner. Well, she was
0: already... Yeah, that surprises me that she had to advocate for it because she already had taken on interesting roles at this point. So she had that guy who shot Ronald Reagan on
1: her behalf. Like, I'm trying to impress Jodie Foster. Like, and... uh, So immediately gets FBI security detail because she had all these other death threats from, like, creepy older men. But she had this other guy who... She was at Yale as a student performing in their theater scene, and he would, like, show up at her performances and, like, watch her. Yes, so many creepy things. So she was in this headspace of, like... I really want to be the FBI agent who brings down a guy like this. Like, fuck these guys. That's interesting. Was her motive? Because I didn't
0: think about the fact that this is less than ten years from when Reagan was shot. When Reagan got shot, yeah. Yeah. And she's sort of involved. She's not involved, but she like she's not involved, but she's a side victim of that. Did um, Jonathan Demme win the Oscar? He must have, because it swept the Oscars, right?
1: This got the top five. This was
0: best picture, best director,
1: best screenplay, best actor, best actress. Jodie Foster in a really good year too. Like this was the year that Rain Man came out. This was the Velma and Louise year.
0: Like and Beauty there and the Beast. So many good
1: movies. <laughs> and Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, which was also best picture and didn't win. And like I'm trying. To, you know, be gracious about that now that I'm decades older than I was when I was 12 years old watching this. But like, ah, yeah, we should talk about Clarice. We should. Let's talk Jodie Foster's Clarice. Let's do it. I loved her. So, (laughs) no, I mean, she's amazing. She encapsulates so many things and like you don't get her immediately because the opening credit sequence is just her running through the
0: woods. Which is by the way still scary. I mean it was almost it looks super scary. It's bleak. There's no leaves on the trees. The score is really like I'm gonna keep on it. Slow burn. It's it's very like something bad's about to happen that's gonna blow your eyeballs out. Yeah.
1: You see her running. She is wearing what is the most fantastic 1990s mock turtleneck <laughs> under a sweatshirt and i have so many tragic school photos taken in this <laughs> similar outfit with a champion sweatshirt with a mock turtleneck under it yeah that was a look back in 1990 i think it's still oh. a
0: look for soccer moms maybe in certain parts of no, the country no. no no
1: they don't make mock turtlenecks they anymore don't. i swear what Land's End should declare bankruptcy. (laughs) They've lost the mock turtleneck. It went away. It's gone.
0: Yeah, I was really uh you know, I've dressed like a couple of the characters, sort of, or I've been on theme the last couple episodes, and I'd say, you know, I went for the sweatshirt here, but I didn't I don't own a mock turtleneck. I was Um, secretly hoping Jess would show up in a mock turtleneck. Yeah, being a lesbian, there was a chance.
1: I don't know where you would find one at this point. Like, Special lesbian really, stores. I don't know. I think they were all piled up and burned somewhere. Like, <laughs> That was such a bad fashion item. Like, what was the point of a mock turtleneck? It only goes halfway up your neck. Just the worst fashion statement ever. She still looks good in it. <laughs> we all had that. We were rocking the mock turtlenecks in 1990.
0: You're just watching her run through the woods at Quantico. It's cool. It sets the mood. Yeah, no, it definitely sets the mood. It's very subtle, but there's only other men running. Some of them turn around to check her out. She, as an actress, I think is just, she's just a short person. So like her size differential yeah. with the other FBI agents are just, nothing is said, but it's just, you can see it. And I noticed yeah. it. it. You really notice that she looks small. She's like one of the only yeah. women. And that sort of just sets it up. They don't really focus on it too much, but it's there.
1: It's very much there. Like, there's a shot of her getting into the elevator, and they made a point of making sure every guy in that elevator was a foot and a
0: half taller than she is, and they're all super beefy. Like, they're all big, broad shoulders. Yeah,
1: you can barely you can't see their faces because it's just like the the bottom of their necks and everything down, and she's just (laughs) standing there like a little troll. It's adorable. Um, It is, but yeah, no, very visually obvious that she is in a giant man's world, and like. That theme carries all the way through because even when she goes to meet with director Crawford, they're both being very courteous, but like the power dynamics immediately established. You know, he used to be her instructor and she's got yes sir him all the way through and like there's points where she's getting treated in a very sexist manner and she'll call him out on it. Yeah. But, I mean, and he corrects himself at a certain point, too.
0: Yeah, there's there's a good scene. I know we're, like, skirting the main point of the whole movie, of the Hannibal Lecter part. But there's that point in the movie where they go to some poduck town in West Virginia. And Crawford, her boss, insists on meeting with the sheriff and his deputies, who, of course, are all men. He sort of whispers to him and indicates that it's not something to be discussed in front of a woman. He explains later... The woman being Clarice, Jodie Foster's character. And he explains later, oh, I did that just to ingratiate myself because I know how these guys are. And in an, Well, to get him out of the room, he
1: said that. Yeah. I, I was just trying to get him out
0: of the room. But
1: it's, but she calls him out on it. She says, you're still setting an example yeah, for
0: how to treat me. And it's subtle. And I think this is where the scripting is really good and the directing is really good because it's a, it, this movie is not about uh, a woman making her way in a man's world. They're just small little subtle things that are there that sort of adds to the tension of the main tension between her and Hannibal Lecter. And, you know, obviously at the end when she catches Buffalo Bill, it just makes it that much more satisfying. So there's these very subtle things that aren't really brought up that much. And I actually thought like her in a very quick scene defending herself was like really, you know, when Crawford when she calls him out on it, Again, she says it, but they don't dwell on it. It doesn't become yeah. like, oh, this is a woke movie now kind of thing. It's just said, and they move on. And this is where I actually thought Crawford was an interesting character, too. Like, you you kind of yeah. don't... He's not a sexist jerk. He's He is trying to support her. He recognizes her value. Like, there's... This isn't a dated movie where, they're, where she's treated like a damsel in distress. It's just sort of subtly there, which I thought was so I, well done.
1: I saw that whole scene because just when she calls him out and says, you're setting the example, and he goes pause point taken yeah you can see like he's learning from that moment and that's really interesting and you don't see a lot of that in movies like this ever yeah and then at the very very end the final scene before the closing credits is clarice's graduation from the fbi academy and he comes over to her and says, I don't love being at graduation ceremonies with cake, but, you know, I just want to say good job. And they focus in on the handshake between the two of them. And that's such a moment of, I respect you as my equal. Getting the respect of director Crawford is an important moment for her. And so it's it's cool that they had that small thread going through the background of this movie.
0: Yeah, and again, it's not cheesy when it happens. Like, you, you really buy into it as authentic. And I think... This is where, like, in a subtle way, I was saying it's like a sneaky plot of the movie because this is threaded throughout where she defends herself. She goes toe to toe with Hannibal Lecter. She has the balls to, you know, walk into this situation where she realizes that last scene when she walks into Buffalo Bill's house is still the most intense movie scene, I think. I would put yeah, that in one incredible. of the most intense of all time, and it's incredible. You know, her character has the, still the balls to do that, even though she's really nervous. It, it's not some sort of great triumph for women that she does it. It's This is more of a realistic portrayal, I think, is how women even now kind of navigate through a man's world, if you will. You know, you take your wins and you do all these things, but there are certain unspoken wins you take. I related to it in a way that I never yeah. saw as a kid, and This is also a moment where I do think I know it's kind of weird to think like, you know, some 12 year old girl in 2023 watching this. But I do think that that thread will be noticed by younger kids now or younger kids, even by someone in their 20s who had never encountered this before. It could still resonate in a way that makes it a more enjoyable viewing. So I thought that was um, kind of incredible. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Clarice is like she's popular she's well liked but she's also like one of the token females and she gets called in
0: by Crawford to do what he calls an errand okay but let's talk about that token female that token female is definitely her girlfriend a hundred percent chance I mean I maybe I was just projecting too much and I should say I'm gonna spend this whole podcast girl crushing on Jodie Foster because of course I am the whole time I was like I'm like Elena I was like, "Do you remember this character? This character is a hundred percent her girlfriend. Like, they're like in bathrobes together. I mean, this is making it sound like some weird rom-com that we're watching. I mean, they're Silence having the an FBI slumber party at an one FBI point. An FBI slumber like... party. I'm like, they're of course dating, obviously. So that's that was my takeaway. It's major gay. Don't vibes don't call between that the out.
1: So like, whatever you want to make of it. <laughs> but let's the token get back females. to the real
0: plot of this movie, other than the <laughs> yeah, all right, gay plot. yeah. When Clarice goes on this errand and she meets Dr. Chilton. Yes. Dr.
1: Frederick Chilton. Yeah.
0: Again, you have the dynamic where not only is he hitting on her, not only is he dismissing her, whether it's because she's a woman or she's not quite an agent yet, any of those things. She smiles. She has to defer to him. But yet she's like, I'm here to do my job. And she sort of, in her own subtle way, has to be like, get the fuck out of my way. Even when she isn't saying that she navigates that so well
1: like she has him walk her all the way down to where dr Lecter is and then turns to him because he's just been ranting about how much he hates this guy and says hey if you guys don't get along i think i'll have more success if i go in alone and then he just snaps at her like well then why'd you drag me all the way down here and she just very sweetly turns to him and is like well, I'd be missing the like charming company or yeah, something to that extent. I would have I would have just, missed the pleasure of your
0: company. It's so perfect. Yes.
1: She disarms him right at that moment where he's about to like flip out and cut off her access and it's such a good way to handle a really toxic guy. And we'll get into him later, because somehow, with all of the murderers in this movie, he ends up being one of the bad guys. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> That's so true. The non-serial like he killer villain. He's, he's a didn't kill anybody. villain. <laughs> he
1: didn't kill anybody, but he's kind of the worst. He is the worst, um, yeah. <laughs> she navigates the situation with him really well and then repeatedly has to deal with him and still navigates it really well. It's really, really smart. And she is such a strong character for that. And that is probably why Dr. Hannibal Lecter is like, hey, I'm finally intrigued by somebody. I will continue talking to this person instead of trying to kill them.
0: Yeah, it's a great setup because, you know, you, you've seen her smi- kind of do the smile and nod thing. But then, in her subsequent multiple scenes with Anthony Hopkins, I wouldn't say that she snaps into place to be kind of more playing three-dimensional chess with him. She sort of drops the deferential and is a little bit more real with him and authentic. You know, she's telling him about her past because obviously she has a, a goal here to get him to help her. So she's giving him a little bit to work with about herself personally. But I just thought it was just, it was so subtle in terms of how you know her character seems the same. She seems differential. She's dealing with like all this other annoying crap, but then when she gets to Hannibal Lecter, she's sort of they're equals, really, in how they're talking. And it's re- it's really just so well done. There's so many close-ups of her face. I mean, they're doing these scenes where it's really tight, and she's they're telling these stories, and she's going back and forth between the Buffalo Bill case and you know her childhood being an orphan. And and then her memories, and it's all, like, intermingling together. All where you're just basically, her face is the whole screen. And you just see all these subtleties going on. It is so captivating and well done. And I'm not sure how many other actors could pull that off that much, like, at face screen time. And here's what's special about this
1: movie, is that for the rapport and for the intimacy that's built up in all of those scenes where they're facing off against each other they weren't actually face to face while shooting any of that right because they're like the camera is is so tight on her Mm -hmm. face that he is off in the dark somewhere feeding the response lines but not being recorded and then when he's doing all of his scenes she's off in the dark where he can't see her so they can hold the camera tight on his face they barely talked the entire time they were filming this. It's incredible, which is super crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. we should talk about Doctor Hannibal Lecter. We should uh, who oh, she goes down into the basement of the Baltimore prison to visit, and just the anticipation of seeing him for the first time. Like she's gonna go down the stairs and through the gate, and the security oh, guards it's like a patting her on to the hell. back, like walking down the long hallway. There's guys screaming at her from other cells. And she arrives and he's just standing there in the middle of the cell. Hello. Like, it's eerie and creepy. It's so good. And they don't cut away from anything. They make it take the real amount of time it would take her to walk that hallway. It is torture
0: getting up to him. I mean, this is where I think it's like the whole movie is like a slow burn, right? So, you know, it takes her forever to get to him and his character and the way that Anthony Hopkins delivers his lines. He's not in a rush. He doesn't look violent, but you kind of like the violence is like oozing from him. I mean, and he talks softly. He talks slowly, It builds your anxiety. I mean, I had, like, anxiety when I saw him on camera for the first time. The first time I saw this movie as a kid. I was like, that man is terrifying. And I will just say, to this day, if I ever met Anthony Hopkins in person, I don't care if he's, like, in front of a velvet, like, roped red carpet. I would turn and run the other way screaming. Like, he is so embodies this character to me. I cannot separate the two.
1: We've had this situation before, but... I'm asking you because I bet you didn't read my notes. I didn't. <laughs> how long, how much screen time Oh no! did Hannibal Lecter have in The Silence of the Lambs, which was almost a full two hours?
0: Oh, wow. I know. Because we talked about how Beetlejuice only had uh, Beetlejuice 17 Beetlejuice was minutes. only 17 minutes. In terms of its imprint, it's sort of like how I thought Large Marge was basically half the movie of Wee Herman. <laughs> but this is even more so. I mean, I would say my... Well, my takeaway is that he's, like, in two-thirds of the movie. 20
1: minutes. Oh, shut the fuck up. He has 20 (laughs) minutes of extremely intense screen time.
0: He never runs. He never yells. He is very slow and purposeful with his movements, and that just makes it so much scarier. It's the whole, you don't see it. You don't see the violence. You don't see it. But
1: there's this whole elaborate scene of him escaping, and... Apparently there's no security cameras on him at all, but somehow he manages to kill one of the security guards and then, like, string him up like an archangel with this elaborate lighting. Like, how did he do that that quickly? That looks like it requires levers and pulleys and, I mean, for all of his slow, deliberate movements, he really went over the top with this one shot. To, like, spook the heck out of them. And it works. It's one of the freakiest shots in the film. But why? That doesn't seem like him. Yeah, I
0: guess it's a small plot hole.
1: It's a little too flamboyant, is what I'm saying for Dr. Lecter. He's not an artist with his murders. He's just, (laughs) like... He's efficient, but like, how do you do that quickly? And can I get that ready for my Halloween display? Because it looks like it takes forever to set that up.
0: It does, but I think he is sort of an artist with his murders, with his because you know he eats them, he prepares them. Like, this sounds really gross as a serial killer. Like, I think there is an art that he thinks he's doing. I feel like he savors. He savors. Yeah, that's a good. But like, beans. This was. This was a
1: flamboyant murder, and it doesn't seem in character for him. But I haven't
0: read the book, so
1: maybe it is character, maybe stick of him. But that know. escape
0: scene just that was so intense, and yet he's not even present for a lot of it. it this is just a, what's great about the filmmaking. But his character is present. Where you know, just to remind folks, you know, he basically slices the face off the second guard, puts the face, he disposes of the guard's body down an elevator shaft. And then, but dressed in his clothes, right. so it looks like he fell down the elevator. Exactly, and, and he
1: dresses he, himself
0: as the guard. He dresses himself as the guard with like this face on, and basically he makes his escape because they rush him into an ambulance. And then obviously he takes over the ambulance and da 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 da, and escapes that way. But the first, And they time, don't
1: show any of the da 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 da. Right, the like da, da, that's why this movie is
0: actually not that violent. Like he does horrible things, and they don't show. Yeah, any they're of not it. showing him slice the face off. I mean, you see blood, but you don't actually see him stab anybody. And even when you're seeing him beat up the cop, essentially beat one of the cops to death, you're not really seeing it. You just see him swinging the club around. And there's, like, blood sp- splattering. but it, Blood
1: spatters up on his shirt, yeah. It
0: does leave it to more of your imagination. And you, they don't show how he kills the, the crew of the ambulance. They don't show any of that. And the, I will say the first time I saw this movie as a kid, I mean, that blew me away. I think I audibly screamed when he gets up out of the ambulance and takes his face off. I mean, it's Pulls it was that crazy. face off. And... Even though I know what happens, but like watching it again, I was like, this is just as good. This has just the... It's still really good. Oh, my God. So good. It's so good. It's still intense. You're still... You still have this, like, anxious feeling watching it. It's very well done. And I
1: think this movie holds up more for not showing any of those scenes. They show the after effect, but it makes you fill in the blanks with your own mind. And it's kind of like that stuck-in-the-middle-with-you scene from Reservoir Dogs, where they don't show... Yeah the guy cutting the prisoner's ear off but you just know it's happening and then they cut back to it after it's
0: happened and you're just like oh and it's so traumatic
1: but you didn't see a thing
0: it's like how you never see the shark in jaws either it's just you just know it's there i mean you see it once at the end but that's about it oh so creepy It is so creepy and all his, like, psychological speak. The way when he wants to take down Clarice and makes fun of her cheap shoes.
1: He has a real fixation on her shoes. I noticed that multiple times. He keeps calling her shoes cheap, and it's like... What are you fashion snob, Dr. Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> like, she's just a student. How dare you? But like, he's
0: this ugh. refined man, this refined murderer. It's it's very good the way he toys with her and withholds things. And I know this is speaking more to the script writing, but Anthony Hopkins' performance in it is just... It's phenomenal. Fena- I cannot get over that he's only in 20 minutes of this movie. And you almost forget the fact that there are two serial killers in this movie. So there's Hannibal Lecter, who spends most of the movie behind bars in high security. And then there's Buffalo Bill.
1: Yeah. Hannibal Lecter's the serial killer we're cheering for in this movie, ultimately. <laughs> sort of. The good guy serial
0: killer. Yeah. Not the villain. He's the He's helper. He's the helper character. Yeah. <laughs> but the villain of Buffalo Bill, the other serial killer, he is sinister. He's like totally fucked up. He is out there at large. But for some reason, he, and he is scary. But he is not nearly as scary as the guy in high-security prison. And I almost forget that there's two killers in this movie because you're just so fixated on Anthony Hopkins' character.
1: Well, let's talk about Buffalo Bill. Let's do it. Played by Ted Levine, who I feel like poor, poor Ted Levine because he did... Such a good job at being Buffalo Bill that he'll never live this down. (laughs) He pops up in Monk. He pops up in Shutter Island. He's in all sorts of TV shows and movies. And the second you hear that voice, you're immediately channeled back to, oh, God, it's Buffalo Bill. Like, you can't unsee or unhear Ted Levine.
0: Yeah, he he plays a good villain and a good serial killer. I mean, it almost pales in comparison to Anthony Hopkins' character, but it's still... Good. It's still terrifying. The scene where he abducts the character, who Catherine, I think the Catherine son, Martin. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't look threatening. He's skinny. He has a cast on, and he eventually he sort of cajoles her into the van and you know abduct her, and in a weird that's terrifying. And I will never to this day cannot hear Tom Petty's American Girl song without thinking of this movie. Oh no. I don't even listen to it if it comes (laughs) on in the car. I think one time I was on a road, I was driving somewhere and it was late at night and it just came on the radio and I immediately turned it off because I was like, it's at night, I'm alone. I cannot listen to this song because that's the whole... Don't help any strangers move any furniture at all. I should back up to say that that song is playing where Catherine, the character, is singing along to it in the car and then the song just sort of is this weird poppy soundtrack to her getting abducted by Buffalo Bill. Cannot separate that from the actual song to this day. All that to say is that he is a bad guy, but for some reason he's not as bad as Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. He is
1: he's worse because he's more chaotic, but he doesn't. He also doesn't get as much screen
0: time because they're like trying to figure out who he is and right. where he is. And but f- um, fantastic performance still like again this is the movie that made serial killers like intriguing uh, in a way uh, i am so
1: sad he did not get a best supporting actor nomination for this that
0: is oh i mean to me. when he's dancing around naked we all know the scene we're referring i was to. very confused by that as a kid
1: i was too because it was just like wait what am i looking at? yeah there? i was like, very confused I as like a 12 year old i was
0: like what's going on <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and just so folks know, he's just to remind folks who haven't seen it in a while. You probably remember this, but he's you have the background of Catherine who's in like the dungeon in the basement, like screaming. Basically, she's literally down a well in his. It's basement. so fucked up. Like, and you have the dog barking. Uh, you have her screaming, and he's just like has this the music up in his room. And he's basically naked, and he's putting on makeup, and he's kind of wearing some of, like, the skin from the the women he's killed. He's got killed. a
1: video cast, like, he's got a video camera. He's, like, the original influencer trying oh. to be, like, everyone look at me. Right. He's, but he's dancing. And this was based on a recording that an actual serial killer did. Really? Where it was, like, let me record myself, like, being a hotshot and saying what I'm about to do. Like, oh. that's where that came from. So it's super creepy but he's bringing Ted Levine as the actor is bringing a whole another level to this because he thought through like all right, this is what the character would do here like none of that's in
0: the book and so you see a close up of him like doing his makeup and sort of starts to dance and the further he gets in the camera you could see you know then you realize he's like naked essentially and he like does the tuck he tucks his genitals between his legs yes, he does you
1: just see the pubic hair and that's all Ted Levine going full monty right there
0: <laughs> full monty but like a hidden monty i was confused by that as a kid i just don't think i knew what to think as a 12 year old watching cuz i i didn't yeah. understand any of the whole idea of transformation or or like sexuality at that point to at this yeah. level also with like a serial killer involved i mean I, it was over my head
1: Another reason why children should not be watching this movie because there's no way for them to interpret this. <laughs>
0: yeah. This is like reason probably honestly towards the bottom of the list why they shouldn't be watching this movie, yeah. but it's it's still one of the reasons. So this is the moment where,
1: Justice as listened to me say this a million times, but I need to tell my Ted Levine story. Yes. I worked on Shutter Island, which is a... 2008 movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, but also Ted Levine playing the prison warden. And he is friggin' phenomenal in this movie. I really recommend everyone go see it and then try to, like, kick Buffalo Bill out of your mind, even though you never possibly could. can't. You really can't. He's very good in Shutter Island. But as he was added to the cast and then it was announced, okay, he's going to be here on this specific day... It wasn't quite a written memo, but it came down from our bosses that if anyone was heard saying the phrase, put the lotion in the basket (laughs) anywhere near Ted Levine, you would be fired on the spot that this poor man... has endured so many people coming up to him asking him to say put the lotion in the basket I gotta imagine he regrets that that line was in the movie he's so good because it's an iconic line it's so scary and it's so weird and
0: iconic wait did anyone do it oh god no you guys were all too (laughs) terrified to do it in front of him or or did you do it behind his back? We did behind his back. <laughs> of course yeah, you did. Because
1: there was a running joke with the accounting department. Like we'd hand in the time cards with like a small sample bottle of lotion. And be, like, <laughs> There's some lotion in your in basket. Just saying. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. But not really saying we didn't actually say anything because we were told not to say anything. But like I feel so strongly for Ted Levine, who took an amazing role. And he was such a star at this. But it's really defined his whole career. Like, rewatching it now, there's the scene at the end where Clarice stumbles upon Buffalo Bill's house. Oh, and, like, they're having a conversation terrifying. in the kitchen. But she figures out who he is. Pulls her gun, tells him to put his hands up. And he's holding a bunch of business cards, and the way he just kind of crumples them into the air before he turns and runs is so psychotic, and I love it. The second he just makes that motion of throwing the card, it's not
0: throwing; it's just like
1: fuck it. Yeah, he just just releasing all of these things.
0: It's so funny you point that out because he has like this motion of like a dancer that sort of looks like the earlier scene when he was doing the tucking. But that still... And I knew this scene was coming. I mean, I've seen this movie like dozens of times. And then, yeah. And I still... When that butterfly or the moth lands on the thread and Clarice sees it, and then all of a sudden, like, she, you could see it in her face that she realizes, oh, holy shit, this is Buffalo Bill. And for folks who don't remember, Clarice's character at this point is just following the lead, basically, that Hannibal Lecter sent her on. To go, you know, we covet what we see. Meaning, go look in the hometown of the first victim, and start following those leads. So she's really just and she's already
1: identified the moths, and she's already identified that this serial killer can sew. And she sees a moth land on thread, and she's like, "Oh!" But she's
0: right. But at this point in the plot, her boss is flying to where he thinks the real killer is some you know somewhere far further away Yeah, they're on this red herring mission right because Hannibal Lecter sent them on this red herring mission this is what really sinks in the first time I saw this movie maybe the first couple times you see it you really don't expect Clarice to be at the door when Buffalo Bill opens you it. really don't you yeah. don't
1: even though it makes no sense for the FBI to just randomly catch this guy while she's off to Chasing clues? It just blows
0: your mind. It blows you your mind. The door and, and it's like, Clarice, oh, shoot, she's in trouble. So she's sort of suspicious, and but the moth then lands on the and thread. he invites
1: her in, and he's, like, plying her for details about, like, what do you know about the serial killer? And then he runs. And then he runs. <laughs> and he's got a gun, and she's chasing him. And this is, you always raise the lack of cell phones in the (laughs) 1980s and 1990s would have solved so many movies so she's really on her own without any cell phone and she's going down into this basement maze with no backup no cell phone, like such isolation, Huh.
0: So, I creepy. mean, I'm getting anxious just talking about it, but it and this is where the lack of cell phones it doesn't even matter. like I really do think this movie could come out today exactly as is. They could have cell phones, and the scene could still work. <laughs>
1: this is really one on one all the stakes because nobody knows where she is right now. Nobody's coming if he just shoots her, nobody's ever gonna find her, yeah, and it strikes me the most when she comes
0: across the pit where Catherine Martin's being trapped and they're talking to each other. I actually thought this scene was slightly funny because Catherine calls her a fucking bitch. <laughs> she does, which to be fair, if you'd been down there a few days and someone's like, I'm here to help
1: you, but I got to go for a few minutes. Oh yeah, I would swear
0: at her too. It's like small comic relief in a really intense scene. Like probably one of the most intense scenes I have ever seen on screen. But it's like this tiny little comic relief where Catherine just calls her a bitch. It's so funny to me.
1: <laughs> so this scene, they go down, they're in Buffalo Bill's basement. The night vision goggle scene, they shot that in 22 hours, which is... <sighs> Sounds really? Like, in one day. Like, they just kept take after take after take after take. Like, that just grinds you down. The longest shoot I ever was on was, coincidentally, for Shutter Island. We did a 23-hour day one time, and I just remember being delirious by the end of that. I think someone in the crew got in the car accident. Oh, no. Home. Like, you're just off your head after that amount of time awake. And, like, the intensity
0: of shooting this scene... I can't imagine. When Buffalo Bill's character reaches out with the night vision and you could see his hand just go right above her face. Generally speaking, you know, even if your eyes close and somebody puts their hand near your face, you can kind of sense it. You can see Clarice sense it, that he's right there. And just like so the sheer terror yeah. on her face is, is really palpable. Like, you, you know, she knows that he's right there. He, she can sense him. That as a kid, when I would watch it, even though I had seen it multiple times and it was like, whether it's my sixth or 10th viewing as a kid, I don't know why I watched this so much. That scene got me every <laughs> you, time. You psycho. I'm a psycho. Or just really like Jodie Foster. I don't know. But that, that scene really got me every time because it's just yeah. so, because you could relate to it. You know what that feels like when you could kind of like, you know, you're maybe you're like waking up or something and you kind of sense that thing. Feeling of there's something there. There's something there. Like if your cat or dog is like, you know, staring at you to feed them, like you could sense it. So it's like, there's something relatable about it. There's something there. There's something there. Oh, and the scene was just as effective. I knew it was coming. It didn't feel too short or too long again. It was, oh, it still was so effective. They shoot it so slowly and deliberately. I don't watch a lot of horror movies or scary movies. It's not really my genre. This has to... I think this is literally the most intense scene to me that I've ever seen on screen. Because it's such a slow burn. I mean, it... Because it's not too fast but it's not too slow either. They're showing how she's like a novice. Like she's shaking and she like the gun is wobbling. She's breathing really heavily.
1: Yeah. 22 hours of that. Like I'm surprised they didn't have to like send her for like a health check after this.
0: <laughs> But it's so effective. It's so effective. You really think she's going to get it. Because it, you know, who knows in this movie main characters could die. I mean you really think she's a goner. I think With worse movies, we're conditioned
1: to wait for a jump scare or some stupid thing to, like, just fly in front of the screen, and they don't do that at all. Or more choreographed fighting. I mean, there's none of that. Yeah. They just build it and build it and build it. (gasps) Yeah, the tension is so palpable.
0: Yeah, it's really just as effective.
1: All right. We should give a quick nod to some of the other actors and characters in this movie. We talked a little bit about Dr. Frederick Chilton, who is the real bad guy. Here. He really is. The... Not really. He doesn't kill anybody. He's just like an egomaniac and he sucks. But boy does he get it. He does.
0: We think we don't see it, but Again, this is where this movie's great. You don't see it, but you know, it's indicated at the end when Hannibal Lecter calls Clarice and says, I'm having an old friend for dinner. And then you see that Anthony Hopkins is watching Dr. Chilton come off a cruise ship. And you're like, yep, he's going to get it. <laughs> so
1: the original screenplay had a different ending. And this ending oh, to me is perfect, perfect the way it is right now. But One of the top three endings to- in a
0: movie ever, I think.
1: I'm not totally clear who changed the ending, but originally, Dr. Lecter calls Clarice at her graduation ceremony, which he currently does, and he's slowly peeling an orange during the whole discussion, but he's like in a room somewhere, and you just see him focus on his hands peeling an orange while he's talking to her, and then he hangs up the phone, and he's sitting across from Dr. Chilton, and has a line like, let's begin, and it's implied (laughs) he's about to torture Chilton to death.
0: (laughs) That would be pretty Which good, is too.
1: super creepy. And, like, there's an element of he's peeling an orange and we've just seen this whole movie about, like, skinning, skinning people. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a throwback, callback. But I like it so much better the way it actually ended because you see Chilton, who is, like, how do you make yourself the nemesis of Dr. Lecter? Like, you're such a jerk. You're such a douchebag that, like, You have a nemesis of a cannibal serial killer. (laughs) There's two serial killers in this movie.
0: There's two, but he's the villain. (laughs) He's somehow the worst person in this movie. Uh,
1: Shout out to Catherine Martin's actress, which is Brooke Smith. She has to spend this whole movie pretty much down a well, yelling (laughs) profanity. (laughs) She had to gain 25 pounds to play this character because Buffalo Bill only kills plus size women. Yeah. So she had this phenomenal quote in an article I read. She said, I was in an acting class with Vincent D'Onofrio, friend of our podcast, because he was in Adventures in Babysitting. So she said, I was in an acting class with Vincent D'Onofrio when I got the role, and he had just done Full Metal Jacket. So he said, you got to ask the producers to give you a credit card. They got to pay for your food. So I did and we always joke that's why this movie went over budget <laughs> because of my food. <laughs> and also Jodie Foster nicknamed Brooke Smith Patty Hearst while they were filming cuz after they wrapped every day she and Ted Levine would like go hang out and like go for drinks and chill. that <laughs> is
0: so weird.
1: You don't know who they are until the movie comes out, but if you'd been out at, like, a bar and seen Buffalo Bill and Catherine Martin, like, sitting there, like, Like, just, like, having a beer.
0: Oh, my God. Like,
1: hey! Yeah, like, that the two of them were buddies and got on really well. That (laughs) is is so so
0: weird. So creepy to think about. That's, like, the weirdest fact I think we've ever had on this podcast. (laughs) That's so weird. Oh, God. And we've talked about furries. I mean, that's...
1: (laughs) Yes. And then the final uh, appearance I want to call out is second appearance on the Live Up podcast, Darla the dog. Darla. Wait, which, what, was she the dog in, was she in? She was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, that's right.
0: She was in Pee-wee. Yes. I love that the and dog is And here she is, is
1: again. <laughs> She's playing Precious. Oh, Precious. Oh, my God. We'll have to watch her whole filmography. Cause we're big fans of Darla the dog on this podcast. Darla does a great
0: job of being the dog of a serial killer.
1: She gets to live at the end, and it seems like Catherine Martin takes her home. I know, possibly against
0: tiny comic relief is that when she is escorted out, when once everybody's rescued, Buffalo Bill's dead. The FBI shows up when Catherine Martin is her character is led out of the house. She's basically still clutching Darla the. The dog, or not Darla! Oh my god, or Precious! Precious, the dog. but it is—it's literally Darla. It is yeah, literally just precious. precious, and and I think at some point some FBI guy tries to get take the dog from her, and she's just like, no, and she just no. like keeps the dog, and it gets like this tiny little comic relief in an incredibly intense movie.
1: <laughs> um. So traditionally on this podcast, we call out things that
0: are cringy or suck. Anything cringy you want to call out. I keep saying I think this movie could come out tomorrow and it won't feel dated or cringy I think it's timeless I think there's an argument to be made about some of the transsexual stuff that maybe that could be cringy but I don't think so because it's in the context of the serial killer it's it's not being anti-trans or any of that there's no there is absolutely no social commentary on anyone in the queer spectrum at all I don't think anything's cringy here
1: I think the problem you're highlighting is that I think people falsely connected the image and personification of Buffalo Bill with the trans community after this movie came out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And that is not what this character is to the point that Dr. Lecter blatantly says he's not trans. That's right. I found that
0: interesting. I
1: will say like Jonathan Dem got a lot of critique on this for directing a movie this way. And he was saying, like, he's not trans, he's not trans. But then eventually was like, I understand there are not enough positive portrayal of gay and trans people in movies right now. And so I take your point that this, even though this is not a trans character, there should be more positive trans and gay portrayals. And then he went on to direct Philadelphia, like, in his
0: (laughs) next movie. So... I think we could transition from cringy, which there really isn't. I think we agree that there's this yeah. movie doesn't get knocked for cringy, and you know we talk.
1: I think it gets knocked for like people reacted in a cringy manner, but I don't think the movie itself is actually that cringy.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, we could talk about the great things. I think this movie just hit so many marks in subtlety. Of even we were talking about for being ahead of its time and portraying a woman in a man's world, it was subtle. I would not not call it woke or any of that stuff. There's not a lot of action. You don't see the actual murdering act, but yet it is still terrifying. There are so many great things. And I I do put the ending of this movie as... The best ending. One of the best, most satisfying, in a weird way, endings of any movie. Oh, it's so satisfying, even though somebody's about to get killed. Somebody's about to get killed, but it's so good. It's so satisfying. This has to be in, like, the top three, and I think Shawshank is up there. as one of the top satisfying endings. This is a great, satisfying ending, and it also had two of the most intense scenes, the escape scene from Hannibal Lecter and the the scene of two different locations with the houses with Clarice and Crawford that were just Just the 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 most intense thing I've ever seen on film. So uh, those things were great.
1: Yeah, no, this movie does almost everything perfectly. The cinematography is stunning. Like, it's so bleak and that's exactly what it needs to be. All of those slow searching through the basement scene.
0: it's like painful like, oh, how slow it is it's beautiful
1: i just in the like margins of my notes have i love this this is so good even though it's the most terrifying creepy thing i could possibly be watching on a sunny sunday afternoon <laughs> the editing also like kudos you built up so much suspense there's so many scenes where dr Lecter is just staring directly in the camera they're just holding the gaze on his face and you just can't get away can't from it. I can't tear You're myself shuddering. away. Like, Ugh! oh, stop staring at me, man. Like, that's such a beautiful artistic decision. I love it. Yeah. It's
0: so creepy. I was planning on watching this movie over the course of two nights just because of like various schedules. And it was late because it was late when I started watching it. And I just kept going. I couldn't turn it off.
1: Can't leave Clarice hanging there midway Could not viewing of
0: this. Yeah, I actually didn't expect the intensity to still feel intense, even though I've seen this movie so many times. So that says yeah. a lot. So as we talked about earlier in the podcast, we, we are going to score this in the same way. We're going to move on to rating. Uh, we're just with slightly different considerations. Obviously, this was a uh, a good movie. It wasn't a mo- It wasn't a movie that could have possibly been in question to not be, but we're still going to score it as one that we shouldn't have been watching. So first rating, one to 10, one being garbage. 10 is usually Princess Bride, but we could say, you know, or insert any good movie here. So what do you got for, this rating is for adults. Does it live up to you? This is for adults. Yeah. Does it live up to you as an adult? I might have to give my first
1: ever 10 for an adult. It's perfect. This was flawless. Flawless. Rewatching this as an adult, even though I'd seen it that one time when I was 12, but then (laughs) I saw it a few times in between and showed it to my four-year-old sister that it was better watching it now as an adult. I just picked up on more of the artistry and the references and just how the conversation between... Clarice and Dr. Lecter was so captivating it's so captivating it made so much more sense to me as an adult and was so much more terrifying for that so this was a fantastic
0: yeah I gotta give this a 10 for adults it's perfect so I agree I'm also gonna give it a 10 that has to be our first 20 for a category and
1: that's Definitely a consensus that we've never had before. You and and I don't agree.
0: So, folks, we're not going to count this in the average for our regular movies because this is in a category of, you know, typically as kids we weren't watching Oscar movies that were rated R and incredibly But also...
1: These, not these After Dark episodes are not for children, so we need to pluck this out. This is not like Disney's Robin Hood, and this is not like a Muppet That would movies. be a good chaser. It's a separate. It's a good chaser.
0: Um, <laughs> so the next scoring is a little tricky, is rating 1 to 10, same scale, but would it live up to Kids Today or its intended audience? Obviously, for this particular one, the intended audience was specifically not kids, but that is how we consumed it and watched it so I'm gonna rate this as imagining whether it's a tween stumbling upon this movie when they weren't supposed to or I'd even extend it all the way up to like a younger person like early 20s who had maybe never heard of this movie and watched it for the first time and you know would this still live up to them but what do you so what do you think Amanda for your score here?
1: so it's hard i'm not recommending any kid watch this ever but based on our criteria i'm actually going to lean into the fact that the british rating system eventually knocked this down from an 18 plus movie to a 15 Mm. plus movie so let's picture a 15 year old watching it today i think i want to give it an eight Mm. i think with modern day sensibilities that the Sexism she's encountering would not be as seen as much as a like character development tool for Clarice, and would just be seen as you know the patriarchy holding her down, and
0: possibly even a little cliche at this point. Like, so I'm, here I disagree with you slightly. I'm not think, sure here. I think that for I I think it actually captures really well, and this is what I loved watching it as an adult is that I think it captures well how to navigate through the world as a woman. I know this is ta- this is not yeah, the no, point she, of this movie, but I
1: she's flawless at navigating. But I do it, think this still I happens. Don't maybe it's
0: not at the FBI, maybe maybe not the literal I'm in an elevator with like, you know, the all these beefy broad-shouldered men uh in a physical job, right? But I do think there's something that still feels relevant to this year of 2023. So I I actually think if you're going... Listen, for a 12-year-old, this would scare the fucking shit out of them the way it scared the fucking shit out of yeah. us. I'm going to yep. give it as high as a nine because I felt okay. like even, God forbid, your 12-year-old watches this movie by accident, they are not going to turn this off. It is too captivating. It's too well done, and I'm pretty confident in that. And I think a teenager would be okay with this. Also, Jodie Foster just still presents as so gay that I find that really fun. So (laughs) I give this a 9 for my kid rating for Signs of the Lambs.
1: Okay. (laughs) Jess has a crush on Jodie Foster. Yeah, I feel like I bumped it it up for that. (laughs) So
0: total, we have 37. 37 out of a possible 40. That's the highest thing we've ever
1: rated any movie. And it stands outside of our kids' root movie ratings.
0: So the last question, just to remind folks, we have to agree. The last question is, does this movie live up? I think we know where we're going. You say it. Of course, of course, course it does. Up. It's immaculate. And I don't think that every movie in this category of really dark shit that we should not have been watching as 11 and 12 year olds, it's not always going to meet this bar. I, I, I think this would be a very, very high bar to clear for this category of movies, but it'll be interesting as we go on in the podcast to see how other movies after dark movies kind of compare to this one.
1: It's going to be a tough competition. I do want to call out too, So we just ranked this 37 points total. Beauty and the Beast is our highest rated kids movie at 31.
0: So which one won
1: Best Picture?
0: Interesting. And they're both, yeah, both 1991. Maybe we need to, oh my God. 1991 Best Picture nominees, but Silence
1: of the Lambs ultimately won. Wow. I think 11-year-old me is finally going to have to get over
0: that. I think you do. (laughs) Our next movie that we're going to be reviewing is also from 1991. So this is a mini theme, an unintended theme here of 1991 movies, yes. <laughs> but this will be clear in a way the best one. Yes. Yeah. For those listening who might disagree, let us know what you think at live Up Pod on all the socials or at live up Pod at Gmail. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>